1: Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago but the thing about slavery it's affecting people now i tell you no lie when i see a film about slavery water comes to my eye know? welcome to the abolitionist daily our daily program where we discuss modern day slavery and human trafficking coming off of a great program last night with the Regular uh, regular show, New Abolitionist Daily, the weekly program covered a lot of the news and events that is going on right now in America. We talked about the Willacy County Slave Revolt, uh, got into some depths on the CIA black sites and the crooked cops running things in Chicago, and our Unexplainable Black Death profile is actually going to be a story coming out of Chicago and likely related to that same crazy uh, system they've got going on there. Dakota Bright is our unexplainable black death profile today. and We'll talk about how when he was murdered, shot in the back by police, walking to his grandmother's house after school, uh, he was actually the fourth uh, police shooting within a, just a few days of each other uh, at that time. So uh, that'll be our unexplainable black death profile a little bit later in the program. But today... Uh, we're going to lead with some, for me anyway, somewhat shocking news coming out of Mississippi with, uh, Christopher Epps and his partner in crime, Mr. Cecil McCrory. Uh, new abolitionist broke this story out last, uh, last fall, uh, late fall winter when, uh, the longest serving, uh, prison commissioner in the state of Mississippi's history a black man named uh, Christopher Epps was brought up on a 49 count indictment from the feds charging him with all types of corruption and money I think money laundering and I mean just the, the, the charges were just ridiculous against him and then his partner in crime Cecil McCrory himself a former legislator and at the time, he was a sitting school board president, so that kind of ties into another one of our stories we'll be discussing today, or just the the theme, because there's not any one particular story. It's just the theme, a system that's in place in this country we call it the school to prison pipeline. So you got people like Cecil McCrory that have a a, a literal invested interest in seeing our youth continue on a pipeline that will take them directly to a future of incarceration and therefore enslavement here in America. We'll have, uh, we'll talk about uh, the Epps and McCrory case a little bit more in depth, but then also, like I said, discussing in the school to prison pipeline, just some of the raw numbers, uh, the racial breakdowns, uh, suspensions. Um, classifications as, as, um, mental, uh, students having mental disability or, or, or needing special education versus, you know, with among the, the students of color, uh, versus the white students being listed as being autistic and getting an entirely different type of treatment for what a lot of times is the same behavior. Uh, just a lot of little loopholes and, and interesting factoids that, You have to introduce to the conversation as skillfully as you can and as with as much of an educated perspective as you can bring to it. Because what you're going to run into, I say it all the time, one thing you're going to learn listening to this program is about the idea of cognitive dissonance and how people in this country are trained in a certain way all of their lives. They think a certain way. They're told a certain thing. They're shown images. Billions of times over the course of their lives, by the time you talk to an average 30 year old, you know, adult male or female in this country, they've been programmed with so many of the same images and so they've heard so many of the same sound bites and they've, they've seen conversations go the same way. They've been told the same information so many times their minds are programmed. They're maybe not even as much of an individual with a, with a thinking mind as they imagine themselves to be. Most people are automatons. They're, they're programmed robots that look like humans that walk around and do what they've been told to do. One way you know that you can be free of brain programming and having to deal with robots is to join the abolitionist movement because it will make you a free thinker. It will set your mind free just to align yourself with the abolitionist cause and with the abolitionist movement and begin working In the movement to end modern day slavery human trafficking primarily focused on repealing the 13th amendment or at least removing the exception from the 13th amendment which is one of the only laws on the books still exercised to this day that is written specifically for africans in america so we'll be talking about those things uh take a quick look at a deal that's going down in uh, Mississippi also um, where MTC is just got to go ahead from county legislature down there to go ahead and expand on some property that they they purchased that was once – scca private prison and was shut down in 2012 and now a part of that that prison has, has been turned into a county jail and mtc is somewhat repeating what they did in south texas with Willacy county and taking over a property that was closed down by another private prison after having a history of abuses and problems and issues or whatever. And they shut it down and then they step in and buy it and take over a new contracts and start funneling in new slaves. And they're trying to open up this, uh, Delta, uh, Delta County jail. to trying to expand on this property and build a prison there and start shipping in illegal immigration detainees again. So we're just looking at it to, to see, I mean, are we going to be able to predict another, uh, Wallace County slave revolt, just this time in, in, uh, Mississippi. Cause a lot of this stuff looks the same. A lot of it looks like it's the same ingredients that, that created what happened in Texas. Uh, with the school to prison pipeline, also we're going to, uh, just kind of merge that into a quick story because there was a, a story out of Sunshine State news about, uh, Florida Senator Bill Nelson, uh, going to Eric Holder asking for, Continued federal investigation in the Dozier School for Boys scandal. Uh, Florida's former premier reform school had lasted over a hundred years. Well, a few years back, they started finding bodies on the, on the property and they just recently uncovered another 50 bodies on the property. This is while people are investigating and there's, you know, supposedly looking into it and you know, what have you. Well, with all of this uh, and with the school to prison pipeline conversation, it just, made me think about you know this is uh this is where the school to prison pipeline used to be you know this is what we used to do in this country there really wasn't a whole lot and this is and it's all tied in also to the uh brown versus board education segregation of in schools integration These are all factors in this, and this is all how you flesh out your knowledge of these subjects so you're not just quoting, new, you know, cable news talking points, and you're not just quoting abolitionist daily talking points. You actually know and understand the roots of these problems, and a lot of the problems in this country are rooted in racism, white supremacy, slavery. They've just been... Masked in certain ways. They've just been covered up a little bit. They've been changed. They've, they've been kind of spun around a little bit. So they look a little different. But if the results are effectively the same, then it's the same thing. So, um, we'll look at the Dozier School for Boys and their current situation and their, their history of, of, uh, just atrocious. I mean, just, it's the worst literally beating children for, you know, a hundred years in this country killing kids all sorts of unimaginable abuses and rapes and mistreatment and there's a lot of survivors that have come out and spoken on it and we'll just tie that into the school for uh, school to prison pipeline stories and um our like i said our unexplainable black death profile is going to be dakota bright and the abolitionist of the day is sister Nakia. Nakima Levy Pounds, our uh, abolitionist attorney. She uh, was awarded the attorney of the year 2014. And uh, we speak about her on the program fairly regularly. Um, someone is becoming more of a personal friend, just a struggle. So when you meet people in the trenches and you end up talking to them all the time and working with them, trying to help them, you see them willing to try to help you. You know, you develop affection for them in a professional capacity and you see that they're also good people through and through i mean you want to help them get their word out get their name out get their their activism out there so more people can come in and help them do their good work so we'll feature her as our abolitionist of the day and uh let's get into it um again like i said with chris freps this story has been bizarre from the very beginning i mean this thing descended into uh Stories of how the feds were following this guy around from bank to bank, watching him go and deposit nine thousand dollars in in each bank to try to stay off of the off of the radar he he's a bizarre he's a bizarre individual just what he had himself caught up in um he Developed this relationship with Cecil McCrory, who is a so-called uh, businessman and owned all these uh, businesses that service the prison industry. And he took full advantage of that relationship. He was out here. Uh, he sold his canteen services to the prisons. He owned several companies that um, set these contracts up with the Mississippi Department of Corrections. Um, he had one company called American Transition Service, which got a one one point four million dollar contract from two thousand and nine to two thousand and twelve alone. And what they did was they ran a men and women's reentry facility out of a prison called Walnut Grove now Walnut Grove is one of the many Mississippi well-known human rights violating civil rights violating inhumane torture schools it's been on the on the record that People are regularly raped there, fights and riots breaking out there, guards opening up the doors to allow people to go and attack other people, people getting stabbed all the time. It's just it's a out-of-control situation down there. And Walnut Grove is owned by MTC, Management Training Corporation the same people that own Wallace county so are you starting to see the connection between privatizing these prisons and cutting corners on safety cutting corners on health care cutting corners on actual rehabilitative efforts spending money on lobbying to extend sentences so people have a longer stay spending money on lobbying so states can develop contracts with corporations to take advantage of slave labor, locking states into 80% capacity contracts, 90% capacity contracts, 100% capacity contracts, and then building bigger prisons so they have to send more people in to keep them 100% to capacity Are you starting to see where these riots are breaking out behind people complaining for years about the health problems? But what causes the news to pick up the story and for the authorities to go in with guns blazing and take over the facility and and shut down any so-called riots, it's not the fights. It's not the rapes. It's not the food. It's not the starvation when, when they don't even have enough food. A lot of these food contracts, and that's the Cecil McCrory project. Cecil also owned GT Enterprises, which provided canteen services to the Missouri, to the Missouri, to the Mississippi departments of correction. Missouri must be doing something bad. He started back in 07, supplying commissary services to state and private prisons. So these are multi-million dollar contracts that this individual, a former state legislator, and when he resigned here in November, the sitting school board president, these are his private businesses that he owned. And when he owned GT Enterprises, they assigned their commissary contract to the St. Louis based company, Keefe Commissary. And Keefe is a company that we discussed with the JPay, See, Keith's got their hands in all kind of stuff, too. McCrory's also owner of Mississippi Correctional uh, Communications and Correctional Communications, Inc. So with owning all of these businesses that service the prison industry and making a personal out of Christopher Epps, and then Christopher Epps awarding all of these contracts to Cecil's companies and then taking these kickbacks and having to run around town and literally make deposits in 10, 15 different banks all in the course of one day with federal investigators sitting there watching him do it, pinging his phone, watching his locations, I guess in some cases literally following him and watching him go in and out of banks trying to stay off the radar. I mean, the guy could have used a Folgers can, you know shoebox under the, put it under the mattress or something. I mean, what do you need to put? I don't even want to ask any questions of why you would do stupid things when you're obviously a stupid person. It just doesn't make any sense. But, um, so after all of this went down, you know, he, this guy gave up a $350,000 home. Feds took it. He was making $135,000 a year. Like I said, he had 30-plus years on the job. I mean, he could have retired and probably gotten away with it, go off into the sunset. But he hung in there, and the feds got a hold to him. So they didn't release much information on what exactly prompted him to give it up. But from the New York Times article, uh they said they they, they entered guilty pleas on Wednesday. He said uh federal court in Jackson, Mississippi, four months after authorities announced this 49 count indictment that name Christopher the former commissioner of the Department of Corrections and Cecil B McCrory one-time state lawmaker who had become involved with the private prisons industry you I love how they just kind of casually mentioned that he had become involved like this all Epp's fault because he took these deals and he got involved yeah sure he didn't make him do it And, yes, he enriched himself to a degree. He got a million bucks out of it or something somehow over all this time. He was getting like $12,000 kickbacks at a time or something crazy. But, yeah, they were in it. But Cecil McCrory has just as much responsibility and just as much of a position and a title and a spot in the community. And as a sitting school board president and as a business owner, he never determined he had any sort of a conflict of interest. And nobody ever called him out on that, and even as he goes ahead and does exactly as Christopher Epps is doing, pleading guilty to this to um, to uh, money laundering filing a false tax return and money laundering conspiracy, when they both plead guilty to these things, and then the news story still comes out and says how Epps is kind of the lead story here. And as a one-time, or as the uh, Department of Corrections Commissioner. And then there's this other guy, too, Cecil McCrory. He, he was a one-time state lawmaker who had, who had become involved somehow with the prison. Well, that's cloudy. We're not sure how he had become involved. He owned several businesses that, that took taxpayers' money for years, is how he was involved. So, yeah, this guy was taking a salary, Epps, but McCrory was getting a salary, too, from this, from the taxpayers. In his different positions working for the county and working for the state. Writing the laws. So it would be interesting. It would be nice to see. That's why you see the promo for uh, Abolitions Daily. We've got both their pictures up there because it's not just a one-man story. It wasn't a one-man show. So they both pleaded guilty. Epps to money laundering conspiracy and filing a false tax return. McCrory pleaded guilty to money laundering conspiracy. It says Judge Henry T. Wingate scheduled sentencing hearings for June, and a lawyer for Mr. Epps, John M. Colletti, said he expected him to be sent to prison. No kidding. It says he worked his whole life to attain the pinnacle of his career in corrections, and now he's facing a jail sentence. It's not a good day for anybody. He said that Epps was cooperating with federal investigators and that there are others involved, allegedly, who have not yet been charged. Not just yet mccrory's lawyer didn't respond he didn't want to talk see mccrory is staying out of it as best he can he's keeping his name because he's actually the conduit to the other people they can get epps to talk more and really what he's going to say is going to be basically hearsay he kind of knows through other people what he thinks was going on and who was behind all. mccrory is the conduit if anybody's cooperating with the feds to get more people indicted and, and arrested and convicted and sentenced and jailed it's going to be Cecil mccrory he's the businessman that had the contracts in hand like i said when he had the uh, gt enterprises it was taking care of the canteens he just turned around and sold that contract to, to keith out of st louis and we've seen keith involved in all sorts of exploitation of the prison system and the private prison system modern day slavery system Says uh, the state's attorney's office had no comment beyond an announcement of the guilty pleas. But Governor Phil Bryant said in a statement that EPS's downfall serves as an example that there are consequences for public corruption. No kidding. Are there really? Are there really consequences? I like seeing this guy's uh, black face being featured as the as the person that sees the consequences. I'm going to keep hitting on that. I'm, you know, it, it kind of frustrates me because it's like, how do you continue to just not mention these other people? How do you not prominently feature everybody? It's an equal opportunity, right? It's a free country. It's equal opportunity. Everybody is whatever. But when we do finally see when the banks collapsed and everybody was, they, they arrested like three black dudes from some banks that worked in Europe somewhere. How in the world do you go find these needles in the haystack when they do get these crooked cops on different charges, when they do start bringing in people that actually serve time, not, you know, like in the Oscar Grant situation, serve 18 months and nine of those are time served while they were in the trial phase or whatever. And you turn around, you're right back out free is almost as soon as they sentence you. We're not talking about those kind of sentences, like real sentences where people get 30, 40, 50, 60 years for their corruption. It tends to be guys that look a lot like Christopher Epps. So I'll be interested in seeing what Cecil gets as far as sitting. I'll be interested in seeing how it all shakes out with the helping, uh, helping, uh, prosecutors, you know, make these connections and implicate other people. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. So again, um, it says uh, Mississippi officials opened a review of state contracts after Epps indictment. And Mr. Bryan on Wednesday called for meaningful reform to the state contracting process. So now it sounds like Florida. And former Highway and Safety Transportation Administration head honcho and recent retiree, but brought back off the bench to hit the clutch three-pointer to win the game, Julie Jones comes in and first thing she wants to do is look at these contracts and review these contracts. Cause like horizon has a billion dollar contract with the state of Florida where 300 and 346, I believe people were killed in custody or died in custody. They haven't all been determined as, as homicides, but there's quite a few that were homicides with open investigations. So that's the thing is we want to look at reform again. And that's one of my, Hard lines that I will not move on. How do you reform slavery? How do you reform lynching? How do you reform torture? Are we going to reform? Or are we going to torture a little bit? You abolish inhumane activities. You stop doing it altogether. Isn't that what you do? Do you reform your drug addiction? I'm going to tighten it up. I'm only going to shoot up heroin, you know, two days out the week versus uh, it's being a seven day a week habit. I'm going to take it down and I'm going to still be able to be a functioning drug addict. I'm going to still be a functioning rapist. I'm going to I'm only going to go find victims once every three weeks. I'm going to go on a lunar schedule. Do you get all sophisticated and exotic with these reforms of behavior that you think is reprehensible? Who sets the standard for what's reprehensible behavior? Clearly in America, the standard is not ending slavery for real. Clearly in America, the police state is acceptable. We've been talking about what's going on in Chicago, the black sites, snatching people off. We're talking about what's going on in Mississippi with these two individuals that were caught so far and selling taxpayer dollars into the no-bid contracts and the no whatever, no concern whatsoever, and then it goes deeper into the the nature of those contracts, And, and were the services rendered? Were the products that they paid for actually given to them? In most cases, no. Mississippi is just like the rest of these states, where the inmates are starving, not getting a daily daily dose of their vitamins, daily recommended nutrition, Terrible portion sizes of rotted food, maggots, bugs in the food, preparation materials, pots and pans and whatnot, found to be filthy and in disrepair. I mean, this these types of things are constantly being revealed, and these people are sitting back fat cats collecting on, on you know, huge multi-million dollar contracts. So we got these two faces that they've connected to it. And they even have to go back and say during his 12 years as a corrections commissioner, Epps was praised by some as a positive force. But he was also sometimes criticized for the poor conditions in the state's prisons, as well as for Mississippi's reliance on the private facilities that were ultimately connected to his own criminal conduct. So we'll look a little bit more at the private prisons and the corruption and the horrible conditions going on in his prison system. While he was giving himself A plus star, five star ratings, because you'd be interested in finding out he was also at one time the president of the oversight board, so called the accreditation committee that gives out these awards to prisons. He was also the president at one time and he gave himself great ratings all the time. So you're listening to the abolitionist daily. This is Johan and Elia and we will be right back. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and I am your host, Johan and Elijah. We're discussing the uh, fallout behind uh, the Mississippi Department of Corrections Commissioner, Christopher Epps, who um, was indicted on a 49-count federal indictment back in uh, November, I believe, of last year. And he and his co-conspirator, Former state legislator down there in Mississippi and uh, at the time current sitting school board president Cecil McCrory, a businessman who owns several businesses that all just so happened to target the prison industry. They both went ahead and pled guilty to some of the charges that they were facing yesterday, uh, Wednesday, the 25th. And they will be facing federal sentencing in June, as according to the judge. So we'll see where they where that shakes out. But before the break, we were talking about um, Chris Epps' history as a as a uh, president of one of the leading prison accreditation organizations, I guess, and he was one that gave himself five-star ratings imagine that i mean can you can you imagine that you're running prisons in your state that are failing your prison is listed in the top three of the most overcrowded in the country constantly people fighting and killing prisoners raping prisoners the conditions are beyond abhorrible. I mean, just they were in a, a, a expose here just a few months before he was indicted showing pictures from inside the cells. You would have thought that it was an abandoned prison from 1905 or something. You would have thought it was abandoned. The concrete cracked and old and blood soaked so deep into the concrete. It can't be scrubbed out like the floors are black from all the years of the blood. This is the literal truth. you would imagine that a person would have some sort of something about themselves where if you were, okay, the commissioner of the Department of Corrections in the state, okay, you did your job, you went to school. you He started out with a a degree in education, Chris Fripps, and became a teacher and wasn't making much money and was a little bit disillusioned about his career choices and what have you, and from what the information they put out when this first happened, what I read about him. Someone mentioned to him they were hiring at the prisons. Go down and see if you get a job and, you know, make a little bit more money than being a teacher in Mississippi. So that's what he did. And he found his home and he began to work his way up and do whatever he had to do to, to, to be that blue ribbon Negro. Pushing on up the line. And he found himself eventually at the top of the food chain. And in his time at the top, he was doing these deals with McCrory and got himself in trouble. He was turning a blind eye to what was going on with MTC prisons in his state. He was turning a blind eye to the corruption. He was getting in on it as best as he could and taking advantage of it all he could. And he was also president. Of the ACA and he gave himself five star, our prisons are the best. Pat on the back. And whatever bonuses come from that. I'm sure there's some type of a financial incentive in that or some type of something that he got from that beyond being able to just pat himself on the back and say what a great job he was doing in his as, as a commissioner. Even though his prisons are 180% over capacity. So this is the fallout, big uh, big deal, you know. Right now these guys are pled guilty. I didn't expect them to plead guilty. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know how long it was gonna shake out, how long it's gonna take for them to, to get, you know, into it or find something to really pin and force their hand. I didn't know what was gonna come of it, but I did not foresee uh pleading guilty and cooperating with the feds on it. I thought they'd probably figure out a way to sneak out the back or something on this thing and we forget about it and whatever if you're listening to the broadcast you have opinions you have um questions or you don't agree with um the way i'm assessing the situation uh please give us a call area code is 712-775-7035 and the access code is 367526 pound you hit star, six, and then one, and you will be here with me. So uh that's pretty much it. I mean, there's there's a. A lot of things to this story, you know, a lot of inner workings. I didn't really want to, to spend a whole lot of time today going into like an hour of talking about this, or what have you. We'll visit it again in the future as the fallout continues. As soon as we get more news about maybe who they're investigating in addition to, you know, these two guys now that they're cooperating or whatever, then definitely we'll get deeper into the corruption. But I think you know enough about what has happened that, um, that we can, you know, we put this out here. I'll add the links to the page. You can do some investigation of your own and uh, we'll move on. Cause I, I really wanted to focus on this whole school to prison po- uh, pipeline thing today. Um, because it's so prevalent in our country and as a part of this pro- program, um, we do tend to talk quite a bit about, you know, of course, adult prisons and, um, we gotta remember, you know, where are the people coming from that populate these adult prisons at some point? I mean, when we talked about with the brother that called in, um, a couple of days ago to us, um, and discussed with us his situation in there in, in uh, Wisconsin. And we start looking at the numbers and all of that and start looking at, um, how, you know, this like over 50% of black males age 30 to 47, you know, and how that affects of course the workforce how that you know the the unemployment rate there we start just looking at some of the systems that are in place that are putting people in these bad situations and then i just kept digging and start seeing the school disparities and the suspension rates and dropout rates and how it all works together and i just found myself digging into it and it's something that i want to uh to bring to you all because in a lot of cases we don't know it's almost um kind of a uh uh Something we see just on the side, but we don't necessarily look deep into, you know, what's going on and why is this happening. And we don't care that these children are facing these conditions until they are in prison. And that's not really the time. I mean, of course, you should care once they're there, but that's not really the time to start being uh, proactive, so to speak about the situation all of a sudden now you know well we got to do something about the prison population well let's do something about the school to prison pipeline that's feeding it i was in sales for years professionally as a you know that was my career my primary career the primary money-making career the primary career for my reputation as an individual what i chose to do the primary opportunity for me to meet people from around the world and and Learn things, you know, more about our society and how finance works. I mean, all these things came to me from sales. And one of the main things about sales is you keep your pipeline full. I hadn't been in sales very long at all, maybe not even a month. And I met a master of the game, this guy, smooth brother. He had his big billboards around town. You see his face smiling or whatever. And he just happened to come in my store. And, uh, he was buying something from, you know, from our store or whatever. And I knew I recognized him, but I didn't know who he was. And I, I, uh, went ahead and spoke to him, of course, you know, and, and we started kind of talking. I was, you know, only black person there besides him and just a young brother, you know, and kind of want to figure out what was going on, you know, whatever. We started talking. He's, Oh yeah, you know, I work over at so and so. And then yeah, that's me. And then you've seen the, book. Oh, okay. I knew I knew you. So I start drilling them. Hey, you know, I just got started here. What can you tell me? You've obviously mastered this. I mean, what what, what do I need to know? I got my notepad here and my pen. I'm ready to take notes and learn how to be great at sales like you are. And he told me pretty straightforward, look, in this business of sales, you just have to focus on using your downtime, using any free time you have to keep filling up your pipeline. Cause those people may not buy today, but they'll buy six months from now. They'll buy next year and you're going to need them that day too. And that mentality goes, I mean, there's nothing in this country that goes obviously more hand in hand with that mentality than the prison system. Cause you might not get them when they're nine. You might not get them when they're 19. Might not even get them when they're 29. But you're going to need them when they come in there at 42. When they make a mistake at at 60, they're still going to be enslaved and put in the same system. You're still going to get a payoff from your hard work at keeping your pipeline full. And America has probably, I mean, if we've got the largest prison population of anybody on the planet, then it stands to reason we've got the fullest pipeline of potential prisoners headed toward prison on the planet don't those things go hand in hand? Doesn't that make sense to to, to make that connection? If our prisons are consistently the fullest, by far the fullest, in our entire system of supervised care, as they call it, whether it's prison, probation, parole, halfway houses as we talked about yesterday the, the the house arrest business having people monitored at their homes I mean whatever aspect of it you want to throw in there we have by we've got more people under these types of controls than dozens of entire countries populations you do realize that And we're not talking about some little, you know, the island Curacao or something. We're not talking about some little small forgotten sandbar in Antilles or something. We're talking about like actual countries with real GDPs and and millions of people and, you know, world powers. We have more people than those entire countries under some sort of supervised care. And that is a non-stop pipeline of children rolling right on out of the pipeline from as early as kindergarten and at any time from kindergarten through 12th grade, if they make it that far, to the dropout point, and then the revenue agent's they're ready for them. come on in. we got something special for you. The reality of jail so when we look at what's going on with our with our system and um what we're doing to our children what we're doing to our future, we got a fact sheet from uh old Tavis Smiley. He's got a fact sheet he put out called How Bad Is the School-to-Prison Pipeline? So I'll give you some of the facts that he came up with on on here. It says 40% of students expelled from U.S. schools each year are black. 70% of students involved in in-school arrests or that are referred to law enforcement, 70% are black or Latino. Black students are three and a half times more likely to be suspended than white students. Black and Latino students are two times as likely to not graduate from high school as whites. 68% of all males in state and federal prison do not have a high school diploma. Looking at foster care. Another factor in the, in the school to prison pipeline, these are children in foster care system clearly, and they have to get an education from somewhere if they can. So 50% of children in the foster care system are black or Latino. 30% of foster care youth entering the juvenile justice system are placed related to their behavioral cases. 25% of young people leaving foster care will be incarcerated within a few years after turning 18. Is that a a bit of a exorbitant number to you? Does that seem like a high number? One in four? These are the systems we have in place to take care of our children. I spent a lot lot of time talking about what we're doing with adults. And your response of incredulity can obviously be, Hey, you got to make decisions for yourself. You got to do right. You got to be accountable. You got to blah, 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 blah. Like I said, I get the Charlie Brown teacher thing going when I'm listening. Why, 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 People just don't want to face it because it's adults and, they, and hey, I'm an adult and I'm out here. I got a job. Hell, you see that car. That's my car out there. And, 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 and this is my house and, and this is my stuff. And therefore I'm not like them and they're bad. And then you go play in your own sandbox. So I figure we take some time to talk about kids. What do you think about children? Do you think children have the ability to make these decisions, to overcome all of these obstacles? Do you think children, we just need to just let a few of them, you know, go by the wayside? I had a debate the other day. Silly me. It wasn't really a debate. I had to correct myself. It wasn't really a debate. It was just a a situation where I saw a graphic that was put together. Uh it wasn't quite a meme. It was a series of pictures, so I guess kind of a meme. But anyway, there was a part of it that was it was talking about this uh uh Western tradition, you know, from the the uh what was it Hansel and Griddle and the them and these different stories they had in the day and then these traditions in different cultures of literally eating children. And then the person threw in Bible references saying it's even in the bible you know whatever and i'm like okay no the bible doesn't tell people to eat children and it became kind of an extrapolated debate concerning well i didn't say that and i did say that and this is what i said and this is what the bible says and blah blah and the point being that that was used as that whole argument was presented as how awful how sick are these people what a sick society western civilization is Look at how we used to be when we were in Africa. We were never like this. We learned this from the white man. All these traditions and these religions and these things that say it's okay to kill your children and eat them, and it's okay to rape your your daughters, and I mean, all this, people just throw all this stuff out here because they just want to be so against a system and say that they're not involved in it. But if you're not involved in abolition of slavery, if you're not involved in dismantling systems like this are you really in a position to talk about how bad somebody is because they wrote a story about eating children because you're eating children you might not be putting them on a fork and knife but what do you think is happening to these children i just told you one in four little children of any race because i gave you race specific statistics already but of any race one in four that exit the foster care system will be incarcerated in just a short matter of time, once they've turned 18. Part of how I became so serious about this abolitionist movement is when I saw the stats that were saying one in four black males will serve at least two years in a penitentiary, in numbers that were associated with those types of prediction. And I looked around at myself, and I looked around at my sons, and I looked at my nephews, and I looked at the young black boys that come to our after-school care program. And I look out in the street, and I can count 9, 10, 11 little boys, ages 4 to 13, playing basketball. I can see them playing football. I watch them through the seasons. I see them in their new tennis shoes. I see them with their... Different little phones they get. I see them playing and relating to one another. And I see us in this predominantly white suburban, somewhat rural Kansas town where they're relatively safe, I guess, from black on black crime. But the violence of our institutions is every much of a threat for them here as it is for children in inner city Chicago in Detroit, Dallas, Miami, hell, here in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri is always at the top of the list for most violent and most shootings and police shootings. Wyandotte County here in Kansas, where I, I mean, I live outside of Wyandot County, but here where I live, it's surprisingly enough, is at the top of the list per capita for police shootings of black males. So these are the little things you have to know. And like I said, this starts with the school to prison pipeline. This starts with kindergarten care. When children come to classes and people say they're not prepared for kindergarten. And no one cares. And no one caters to what their learning style is. No one pays attention to what they may be going through in their home. And then a white child comes in and has ADHD. He's termed as autistic. They get some type of medication. They get some type of extended care. They get the point is to try to keep them as closely associated with normalcy as possible. That track is to try to keep them close and to try to hold the system accountable to not forget about that child, to not overlook that child, to not keep going and leave that child behind. No, my autistic son is going to graduate on time with his classmates because he's just like what we have that's the the show from back in the day uh corky the life goes on the whole story about a kid a white kid from a suburban white family with down syndrome and how he was just like everybody else so you had doogie howser come on at seven and then corky comes on life goes on comes on at eight so they show you how one side is the genius. Is practicing in a hospital in, in the evenings and then going to 10th grade during the day. And then you got a down syndrome kid at, at the hour after that. And his family is sticking together behind him and making sure that the school's accountable and they're going to graduate Corky on time. He's going to college and Corky's going to have a career and be a regular citizen. But then you look at these children of color. And 70% of in-school arrests are black and Latino children the special education programs designed to hold children back are dominated by children of color. 50% of young people leaving the foster care system will be unemployed within just a couple of years after turning 18, after they get turned out of that foster system, after people can't get money from the state for looking after them, They're going to be unemployed and they're going to go to jail. That's what those numbers say to me. When I see one in four is going to prison, when I see one in two is going to be unemployed, that says to me that we're eating our children. We're treating children that never had a family in our foster systems as though they are completely disposable. 70% of inmates in the California state prison system are former foster care youth. And California is suing to keep itself at damn near 200% capacity for the last five years, fighting with Supreme Court, fighting to keep slaves in prisons. Are you seeing a picture? I say it all the time. All I really want to do, see, I see the dot board, the, the matrix, literally like a dot matrix. I see the dots all over the board. So what I'm trying to do for you is just draw the lines. Dot to dot to dot. And then you'll see the picture for yourself if you look 70% of the inmates in California State Prison are former foster care youth. Does that not send up any kind of flag for anybody? That these were children that were deemed expendable that were deemed frying pot ready from as young as four or five years old. Somebody eyeballed them just like you go on a, on a, a, on a, uh, cow pen or something, a pig pen or something. Go on a farm, a meat farm somewhere and hand pick which ones you think are look healthy and look good for getting put on the main line there to butcher shop. There's no future. When you have 70% of the people in the state prison, one of the most incarcerated states in America, itself one of the largest economies on the planet the state of california itself you look at the macro then the micro you look at the the big picture of what california represents and you look at these little small individual pockets of what's going on in a state like california leading our nation 70 percent of the people in state prisons are former foster care youth that doesn't, that doesn't shake you up a little bit. You don't think, well, maybe we need to look. And that's why this is a big part of this program today, because I really want to drive home and I want to have it stuck there on the podcast for posterity, a conversation that gets even more deep into and covers a lot of the points of our pipeline. Cause yeah, sure. We can cut off the 13th. I see that. I can see that. And I would feel good about that for my sons. I would feel good about that for the future generations. I, I I would be happy that that happened. It's a landmark situation. Until he went back, what, uh, 15 years later or so, Frederick Douglass was proud of the, the 13th, I'm sure. At the moment it happened, like, man, we finally got something done. All this running and hiding and fighting for my life and going around, you know, with a thread over my head for all these years and really trying to get it. I mean, it's finally something happened. And I'm sure he sat back at least that afternoon. Leaned back in his rocking chair and felt pretty, pretty proud for a few hours. But then some time passed and he saw what was really going on. And he came back and called it a stupendous fraud and called out Lincoln for his lies. But it took some time for that to bear out. So I, I think of the 13th being repealed or having that exception pulled out of it. That would be so specific to what we're talking about. I wouldn't have any any way not to feel like I was a part of something that made a change happen. So, yeah, that'd be great. But dismantling our pipeline is the way that we're going to actually starve the beast. See, you beset evil with good. Yes, sure. You put more love in, and you can overtake the evil you' don't, I know the the basics you know the the yin and yang and the, the the these you know I understand these philosophies or what have you, but in reality you have to replace a system with something that works just as well for the evil doers for them to even consider letting go of what they're currently using. When prohibition came in place, we did not have a federal uh, income tax in place as it exists today. Our primary tax in this country was the liquor tax, and liquor was everywhere. There wasn't even municipal water systems in place in the country when the liquor tax was up. You want water, you go down to the river, I guess, or dig a well, or something. I don't know how people got water. A lot of people didn't have water. They drink a lot of liquor though, and it was taxed heavily, and it ran the revenue of the country. We kicked off wars, and just like today, with that money, not much infrastructure built, but we we had our fair share of wars, and we built up some stockpiles of of uh, weapons and whatnot. And we stu- that was the beginnings of America, who we would eventually become. But after Prohibition was repealed. Then you suddenly had a liquor tax and an income tax in place. Hey, we doubled our double down. And in the years after that, you begin to see public works projects. You begin to see, you know, major infrastructure beginning to be put in place and highways and the skyscraper booms and all this type of stuff starts happening. So you need the money. And slavery, as we've discussed on the new abolitionist program and in this movement for the last few years, slavery is... For all intents and purposes, a trillion dollar a year operation. If you take in all of the, the associated industries and the jobs and the salaries and the, and the payouts and the, 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 everything that's just poured into what is ultimately the industry, the institution of slavery in America, you're going to be somewhere near about a trillion dollars and these children and this school to prison pipeline is the way that happens so I'll give you some more specifics Uh, rant over, I'm not going to rant on the second half here when we come back from the break this is the Abolitionist Daily I'm Johan and Elia and we will be right back Okay. this joint here dedicated to my man Mark You better soon kid your head up. It's a long
0: the Black Talk Radio Network.
1: And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. I'm your host, Johan and Elia. We are looking at the school to prison pipeline right now. Uh Let me give you the number again, because there's got to be somebody with an opinion on this. There's got to be people who are directly affected by this, just like I am, who have an interest in this, an opinion, uh, maybe people that don't agree with me. But uh feel free to call in. Area code is 712-775-7035. The access code is 367-526-POUND. You hit star six and then one, and it will give me a little... Sound tone. I'll know you're on the line, and we'll get you on the air. So before the break, I was kind of going just in a generalized fashion, discussing you know some of the stats and just some of this, just creating the the environment, so you will understand how this is a very heavily racialized, um, taking advantage of the same portion of our culture from childhood as we see as the main incarcerated persons as adults talking about the pipeline being the way to feed the beast overall. So not only are we looking to cut off the head at the top, the 13th amendment, the the, the financial incentive overall to make a person a slave, even being legal, cutting that out, but also looking at the roots and how to end feeding the system. And right now that's what we're doing is feeding the system. From a 2007 study by the advancement project in the, power Youth center for social change they say that every 100 students who are suspended 15 are black 7.9 are Indian, american indians 6.8 are latinos and four are white same study reports that the u.s spends about 100 or about 70 billion dollars annually on, on incarceration probation and parole this number lends itself to 127 percent funding increase for incarceration from the years 1987 to 2007 But compare that to a 21% increase in funding for higher education. An over 100%. An over 110% increase in the difference between. You tell me what is this country focused on? 21% increase in education. 127% uh, funding increase for incarceration. Uh, Based on statistics from the Civil Rights Data Collection, in 2009, the Los Angeles Unified School District reported the following numbers for out-of-school suspension: 62% Hispanics, out-of-school suspension. 33% black students, out-of-school suspension. 3% white students, 2% Asian. The LAUSD also reported that of their expulsion, 67% Hispanic students and 5% black students were never offered educational services. 77% Hispanics and 8% of Asian, black, and white students were expelled under zero-tolerance policies. So this is LAUSD, and we're just seeing again, I mean, the Latino community needs to wake the hell up. If your concern and your unified front is your fight for illegal immigration. You're about to get caught up in that same damn bait and switch that everybody else that tries to figure out white supremacy and doesn't understand what the hell they're looking at gets caught up in. You're going for all this immigration reform and you need to be worried about abolishing slavery. Because, yeah, it's great that there's 50 million Latinos and they took over the second place and the blacks are third and all these little sideline things that people don't talk about much. But I know they got to feel some kind of way about. We're number two. Well, you know what you're headed to being number one in the prisons. Where else are they going to put you? Do you think you think they need you? You think it's that many people need landscapers? That's the joke they tell about you. You think it's that many people need maids? Notice how those jobs are things that slaves used to do. Notice how the school districts are suspending Latino students, expelling Latino students, not offering services to Latino students. Notice how 70% of foster care, former foster care, or or, or 70% of, of state inmates are former foster care. Where do you think foster care is probably number one in the state of California? Having something to do with immigrant families so get a step ahead of where you're at I don't know if you're going to get up there where they're at with the decisions I don't know if you can play chess that many moves ahead like, like white supremacy has got the board laid out I don't know maybe you can maybe we can come together think tank we can we can start putting our thoughts together and come up with some counter moves or come up with something to anticipate where they're at but right now I could tell you just from reading these numbers you're still worried about the dream act you need to quit dreaming these people are incarcerating immigrants and incarcerating Latinos faster and for the same slavery purposes than even black folks. Don't that send a chill up your spine? We talked about Willasse County, Latinos. we talking about, we're going to talk about Mississippi today, Latinos. We talk about private prisons. We talked about the federal courts. By far the most federal court judgments in the course of a year ranging around 90,000 judgments in a given year are related to the immigration situation or Latino people in court, in federal court. You are number one. They just deported the leader of the, the hunger strike up in Washington's geo group prison where people have been striking and, they refused to work and went on the hunger strike and everything else. They just got rid of the leader of that, of that movement. Making progress toward waking you up to what the hell is going on. They went on a hunger strike because of the medical care, but they went on a hunger strike because they're not going to be slaves. They didn't come here to come be a slave in a prison. And once people start figuring that out and start talking about that, suddenly somebody got to shut their mouth. Like in Wallace County, we don't even know who the leaders are of those movements. We know about our brothers down there in Free Alabama, Free Mississippi. Hell, we got the picture on Abolitionist Daily of the brother who was beat associated with the work stoppage the strike in Georgia's prisons. So when are the Latino brothers and sisters going to step into this and realize what's going on? You are being targeted. Black women are the new. Latinos are the new. The black male situation is, I guess they just figured they got that sewed up. So it, let's fill our pipeline with with the new, what's going to be the future. Says so the CRDC, Civil Rights Data Collection, shows that in, in 2009, West Valley School District in Spokane, Washington, expelled 20% black students and 60% white students and offered no educational services. Of those who were expelled, 10% black students and 60% white students were done so under zero tolerance policy. School to prison pipeline, zero tolerance. Hey, get out. What the hell is a kid going to do? So you can be just so cold and so callous and you got to be about your business. Hey, I got a job I go to every day. I don't have time to worry about this. You can be wrapped up in one of these organizations that you have never heard mentioned the abolition of slavery you can be all caught up striving to be in the hierarchy of this little clique you joined or whatever i'm not trying to crap on anybody's group you know if you're doing something it's better than doing nothing but you need to start doing something that actually works towards something instead of just giving each other awards and patting each other on the back and meeting for brunch and putting a bumper sticker on your car so you can be proud what is a child going to do when you kick them out of school for zero tolerance Those who were, who, those who referred, were referred to law enforcement were 10% black students, 80% white students. This is in Spokane, Washington. However, Spokane school districts reported a higher number of enrolled white students. West Valley school district consisted of 86% white students and 4% black students. So if you've only got 4% blacks and you still managed to get 20% of your expulsions, that still touches, that's still pretty, uh, Pretty racially heavy, man. Damn. And we know in that part of the country that the people, this is one I mentioned before, came together for the last several years and fought with the city council elected officials and told these people, we don't want another jail. We don't want another juvenile detention facility. We want to build our own care facility for our youth. We want to help our youth. We don't want to incarcerate our youth. And you know what they did? You know what the city council did to those people? Arrested them when they came to the meetings and told them, no, you better not vote for a jail. Had them snatched out of the meetings and chains. Hell no, we don't want to hear from you. As a matter of fact, we're going back here behind these closed doors and we're going to vote yes. And that's what they did. I'm not making this up. This is what just happened. These people fought with the city council elected officials for years. But the prison business put money in their hands. The incarceration machine influenced them to ignore their constituents. Something had to be so good that you wouldn't have a job soon. And you'd be okay. You got a job you go to. What could be so good to you that somebody that doesn't have anything to do with your job could just approach you one day and say, hey, I got something for you. If you go in there, you guys make widgets. If you just go in there and give me the proprietary information on how to make those widgets you make, I know they're going to fire you. You won't have a job. Don't worry about it. But I got something I'll give you to to be so good. You won't have to worry about it. You'll you'll be taken care of. What could they be giving these people? They're just city council board members, but they have the power. To allow for another incarceration facility to be built. They have the power to vote yes for that. And the people gave them that power and the people told them we don't want that to the point of many people being arrested on a regular basis at all of those meetings discussing that. They went on at length. I've watched the video footage of the meetings. The people went on at length for hours and hours begging and pleading and presenting very well thought out, scientifically proven cases by professionals, academics, people coming in there with PhDs and credentials out the door. And you know what those uh city council people did? Yeah, we hear you. uh uh, all that vote for uh incarceration facility to be built here for our youth in the city uh they uh i i the eyes have it and the people got a foot in their ass out the meeting right out the front door so like i said look at how this pipeline is sending children to the prison st louis missouri schools the normandy school district is 98 percent black population 100% of all students who received more than one out-of-school suspension were black. 100% of those who were expelled without educational services and 100% of those who were referred to law enforcement were black. 67% of black students and 33% of white students were referred to law enforcement. There's no point in even wasting time. telling. I mean, if you didn't hear that, then you're deaf. You don't even hear the show anyway. New Orleans, Louisiana, has numbers equally as staggering. The Orleans Parish School Board's expulsions under zero tolerance policies were 100% black. 67% of their school-related arrests being black students. The Charter School Association has 75% of their expelled students without educational services offered. Black. 100% of their expulsions under any zero tolerance policies and 100% of their school related arrests were black. What are you doing to children, man? What are you, what is the point of telling a kid? We don't have anything to offer you. We're just going to sit here and wait until you end up in prison. How many, okay, you hear somebody says they overcome, and that's a, 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 a unique situation. You hear a person brag of how, man, we came from nothing. We profile these people that come from nothing. They had nothing. I was broke. We didn't have nothing. We didn't eat. Uh, mom and daddy was on drugs and we da 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 da. All this stuff up the line till you make it one day and you become somebody. And we all clap and praise and we all know from the deepest point in our humanity, That this is a shining example of excellence, of overcoming. And even though we have our own jobs and we have our own lives, to what extent do we see that person as having done even more than we did? Having achieved even more than we have, especially considering their odds that they faced. And then we look at ourselves and realize if we haven't done that and we weren't in those same situations as abject poverty and molestation or mom and daddy fighting or using drugs, getting shot. I mean, all this kind of stuff kids overcome in these rare cases. If we didn't do that. Then how much more rare and special does that make that one individual who did that? And so then you look at the masses of your systems that are in place, the public school systems that are in place, how many rare and extraordinary superstar shining examples of individuals do you really think are going to somehow just ping and pop up out of the mass and become that one? How many ones do you think there are? And we're talking about major cities, St. Louis, Louis New Orleans, <laughs> Louisiana, the most incarcerated state in the country. The most incarcerated incorporated state of people on the planet. And you wonder how it gets that way. You have a thought, a question in your mind where you like, man, I wonder what they're doing down there in Louisiana. Then people are off the chain. I don't know how they live down there. I don't know how they're making it down there, man. whoo them jails? Oh, the prisons. It's the biggest prison. And whatever else kind of crazy comments, I mean, don't you want to find out why it's that way? This is your country. You tell me if I don't like America, I should get out, presuming that you love it so much. So you love this? Because this is your country. Well, we have problems, you know, we have to overcome, but you're not even moving to to identify them. So how are you going to convince anybody you're trying to overcome anything? Don't they say, alcoholics, the first step is admitting you have a problem? America has a problem with slavery. How about we start admitting it? So, again, this ties to our private prison issue. Guess who's in the middle of policing schools, even though they are not a law enforcement agency? CCA. Corrections Corporation of America has extended its reach beyond the corrections sector and into the public school system. Despite not being a law enforcement agency or staffed with certified peace officers, CCA employees assist local enforcement agencies in conducting school drug raids. For example, Arizona's Vista Grande High School. CCA provided K-9 teams, to help conduct a drug sweep at this school school was put on lockdown and all students were lined up against the wall as dogs patrolled the corridors as a result of the race, three students aged between 15 and 17 were charged with possession of marijuana with quote to invite for profit. Oh, okay. To, to invite for profit prison guards to conduct law enforcement actions in a high school is perhaps the most direct expression of the schools to prison pipeline I've ever seen said Caroline Isaacs program director of the Tucson office of American friends service committee. Former prison warden and correctional specialist Carl Tijobrin raised questions about involving a company that has been at the heart of violent controversies and scandals across this country in your schools. He added, I don't think you ought to use corrections officers around children. It's a different culture. It's a different setting. It's a different approach. It's inappropriate. Uh, Carl, it's slavery. They bring the slave masters right on into the school so your kids can just get hip to what's going on. Did you see Django? Did you see them dudes riding around on horses with the whips? Crack Knocking the black off them people's backs. Those are slave masters. Those are overseers. The sooner you make the connection between what you saw with that and what they do. Is the sooner you'll be able to make the connection between what they're doing in the prisons right now and when you prepare these children for that type of mentality and to be able to deal with that type of thing see that's a PTSD type event you go to school and you get lined up because they, they got three arrests out of the entire school for kids possessing marijuana they didn't even say how much but they, they, they get three three arrests out of that. It was worth locking down the entire school. So you got the kids at Columbine and you got the kids at the Vista Grande. Put them in the same psych freaking care because they've all been traumatized by something that shouldn't have happened. The adults should have kept them safe from this. But the adults think it's a joke. The adults think it's something they don't have to pay attention to. So we send private prisons into the schools to police the children. So I just wonder, is it a priority to you? Is it something that maybe that matters a little bit? Is it something, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that, Johan, and I hadn't considered what we do to these kids. Because I'm giving you all these numbers and telling you how sickening it is. Here's one thing that's, that's for some good. This is uh from the news, sentinel.com. This is a report I found about a program they're trying to operate, and there's several programs that people are trying to get going around the country to counteract what we have. Here's one. is called Check and Connect, where you check with a child. As you see, they have developmental issues going on. Behavioral problems are starting to emerge. You just check in with them, and you make a connection with them and start putting them into a system into a, into a, a, learning program that maybe a little bit better fits with what they're dealing with. And then you start to see these amazing numbers. How suspensions drop and, and dropouts drop and how expulsions drop and how calling the police to intervene because an eight year old had a tantrum. All oh, that suddenly becomes a thing of the past when you try. So there's a new program to reduce truancy and school suspensions is showing promising results according to Allen Superior Judge. Dan Heath, Heath of the Court's Family Relations Division, was expected to announce Wednesday that after the first semester of the Check and Connect program, suspensions of students mentored through the program dropped by 62.5%. The number of tardies dropped by 41%, excused absences rose by 17 and unexcused absences dropped by 20%, with total days absence dropping by 20%. So, see, these are all positive numbers. This has to do with creating a positive environment for learning. As opposed to having a school-to-prison pipeline, a literal pipeline to just cram kids in so they come out screwed up and ready for jail. He says, considering that this is a new program and we didn't even really get underway until about mid-September, these results are extremely gratifying. In coming semesters, we'll get going sooner and we'll just generally get better at what we're doing. Noting that students indicate a connection between school truancy and juvenile crime, Heath added that as we expand our program, we'll see less and less crime. No kidding. This Heath, man, this Judge Heath, I tell you, he's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. This guy's got a future. He can see the connections. He makes these, these brilliant statements like this. As we expand our program of caring for children, We'll see less and less crime and less of the so-called school-to-prison pipeline. This way, we won't have to face these issues confronting us at the juvenile detention centers. Yeah. Check and Connect was developed at the Institute on Community Integration at the University of Minnesota and is designed to mentor and intervene with students to lower truancy rates, improved grades, overall school participation. Make them a part of the community of learning as opposed to make them a part of the community of incarceration and enslavement, you think? That's what it sounds like to me. Heath announced the program in December 2013, and members were trained by educators from the University of Minnesota last May. There are approximately 70 students in this pilot program. The program has two central features. So this is why I brought this because I just want you to listen to the reason, the features that they offer. These are the features. This is the grand thinking. This is what all these years of people's education, all these great big degrees, titles, all these salaries, all these benefits of being tied in and being at the high, at the high end. And then you're somebody important. This is what it all comes down to. All of this massive learning and knowledge and academia and study is all funneled into this one thing. And they popped out this great idea. First, monitors check. That's where they got the check part of Check and Connect. They check by studying students' behavior for early signs of problems, such as absences, skipped classes, and failing grades. Pretty simple, but genius. Second, they connect, because it's check and connect, so you don't don't just check to see if a kid is actually coming to school or actually participating. You don't just check, but you also connect by providing support-based on the students level of risk or need so you actually have to connect with these kids damn you actually have to have this child here and connect with them to find out what is going on why are you not coming to school every day why are you going through this semester with all F's why are you late every day why are you wearing the same clothes every day why do you never speak in class? As opposed to just calling the police and ex- ex- expelling them. You're out. Bye, Dante. So shout out to Check and Connect. Good job. You guys are actually trying to help. But then we look at other school districts where they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to help. They're trying to get involved or whatever. And it's the s- same problem. Professor Vernelia Randall She's speaking for the Dayton public school system. She says it all starts in kindergarten when they just pass these kids along. So what happens? Based on statistics, they give us a large percentage of the students come in, not even kindergarten ready. But the curriculum doesn't reflect that problem. They need check and connect. If a child comes in not kindergarten ready, there's only so much a teacher can do. According to 2012 and 13 report from Ohio Department of Education, only 24% of DPS students were considered kindergarten ready. So here we have again that one in four number. Randall says she's worried many of the other schools in West Dayton could close. So now we see with the other side, because she's worried that they're going to close the school because the state district's review teams recommend shutting them down. So when you talk about Philadelphia, closing 300 schools you talk about chicago closing two 300 schools and you talk about these same places building prisons this is where it comes from you don't check and connect and you let the children fail and then you give them a state test and the review professionals come in and say "Ooh, these kids are failing these schools are failing these kids we need to close these schools and by the way we just got a deal Well, we could get some more. We got like $400 million for building this prison. We're going to, we're going to build the prison because we need jobs. And that's how you eat your children. This is the abolitionist daily. This is Johan and Eliah. I'll give you the number again. If you care to comment, have a question, area code is 712-775 seven zero three five and the access code is three six seven five two six pound you hit star six and one and you'll be here with me and all ready to go and comment or question on this program so when we come back i'm just going to briefly cover the uh, Dozier school for boys uh story and just talk a little bit about the the bodies and the the history of all this, because see, I set all this up and I really want a long time on that segment about what we're doing now and how technical it is and how slick it is, how prevalent it is, but just how slick it is, how, how subtle it seems, but it's as effective at killing the children and disposing of the children. We'll just take a couple minutes and look at Dozier school for boys, which was at one time considered to be the premier reformatory school in this country. And now they're finding the bodies. So this is where we're coming from is where we literally used to just kill the kids and just throw them away. And now this is what we're doing. What we just talked about the last 30, 45 minutes or so. So you're listening to the abolitionist daily. This is Johan and Alaya talking to you from the black talk radio network
0: it's just simple that uh, there's thousands of black cops in America and you've never seen white folks have to march because some black cops have misused it. you never seen no white people on TV say so that black cop shot my son in the head 40 times. Now the question we ask, is that because we're most spiritual or better trained? No. Black cops, no white folks, and to tolerate it. And when we stop tolerating,
1: it cops. When Marley they shot him. Allen but they shot him. Ken Chamberlain, they they. They shot him. Kendrick McDade, they shot him. Derry Simmons, they shot him. Bo Morrison, they shot him. Wendell Allen, they shot him. Justin Sip, they shot him. Scared rappers, be quiet. Scared preachers, be quiet. Scared leaders, be quiet. You in the presence of warriors. I said, scared rappers, be quiet. Scared preachers, be quiet. Scared leaders, be quiet. You in the war with your face, boy. You can't call this a waste war. We you are tuned in to the Black Talk to Radio Network for live programming schedules, visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Welcome back. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and I am Johann and Eliah. This is the Black Talk Radio Network, and we've been discussing today at length the uh, school-to-prison pipeline and just some of the numbers, Statistics and whatnot, some of the the things that are in place to facilitate how we see what has been going on in our country with closing schools and building prisons, with leaving children with no options, then not the children even know how to evaluate options. Calling us to the table, you know, calling us to putting our feet to the fire about what we're doing to our children when we expel them, when we suspend them continually, when we pick out certain ethnicities, I think we pointed out to the Latino communities how prevalent this is uh, and how important this is to consider for their own ethnic group, as they are now uh, number two at 50 million people in America and looking to get a large number out of the estimated 11 million illegal immigrants that are in this country that are looking for clemency, looking for uh, for that whole thing to just kind of go away so they can be a part of the slave gang. And now to uh, wrap that up, we're going to look at the school for boys, also known as the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys. It was a reform school operated by the state of Florida in Mariana from January 1900 until June 2011. It was uh, at one time the largest juvenile uh, reform institution in the United States. Through its 111 year history, the school gained a reputation for abuse, beatings, rapes, torture, and even murder of students by the staff. So they had their investigations. They would change leadership. They kept saying they were going to improve. They were going to reform what they were doing there. Reform the reform school. But it just kept on and kept on coming out what was happening there. So Florida Department of Law Enforcement, that famous bunch of crack investigators that are all over the Florida Department of Corrections murder mysteries. I'm sure, it's real difficult to look at the situation with Darren Rainey and figure out if he was killed or not. I'm pretty sure it's hard to look at, uh, Jordan or Randall Jordan Aparo and, and see that what looks like a chalk outline, a body outline against that wall where he was in the fetal position, curled up, trying to survive while two or three cans of chemical mace were poured out on his face. Left a coating about, oh, about a half inch thick on the wall when they pulled his body, dead body away from it. Pretty tough for uh, FDLE to investigate that, I guess. And it looks like it's the same thing. It's pretty tough for the FDLE to investigate all these bodies they keep finding at the Dozier School for Boys. And I bring this up because this is where we're coming from. When we talk about the school uh, to prison pipeline, for 100 years, this was the standard. And this was largely white kids. Again, I mean... It, This is what we come from here. So when I talk about slavery, it shouldn't be some big shock to you. Shouldn't be so hard for you to swallow it down, for you to just take it that it's true. Because even though this may not have been slavery per se, and we have, now that we have systems in place where we can take full advantage of slavery, we've kind of moved on from the reform Aspect, because the reform schools contributed their fair share of, of kids to the prison system, too. No doubt there's numbers like the California numbers where 70 percent of the inmates came from foster care. I'm positive there's reports and numbers that show. What percentage of state inmates, you know, state to state around the country came directly from reformatories. And at this time, for a 100 years. Beat these kids and rape these kids and throw these kids around. There's a report that some uh, guy had a report where he was talking about how they used to put kids in the damn clothes dryers. Just throw them in the dryer and turn the dryer on. That was your punishment. So there's all kind of sick and sadistic things going on at this school, but it comes back up now because they're still supposedly investigating it. But it comes up back up now in the news because new evidence has been found again sunshine state news reports that the florida senator bill nelson asked for the u.s department of justice to probe into the arthur g dozier school for boys in mariana its federal investigation of prison deaths in florida continues so see now he even sees okay so you guys are down here checking out what we're doing in the prisons and i'm sure you've seen the inmate mortality website i know it's it's crazy a lot of guys been you know dying in custody while you're down here Can you come check out the grounds of the school that we closed a couple years ago? He says the researchers from the University of uh, Southern Florida have found 50 more bodies buried on the site. There was as many as 60 bodies found in 2013. And those weren't even reported in the original 2009 report Where they found 31. I mean, some of these stories, just like we were talking about yesterday with Chicago, and we're talking about the just, I mean, how absurd is it? How how mind-blowing is it for you to consider that here in America, your police agencies, where all these good cops are at, and every time anything goes down, everybody tells you these good cops, and they're just heroes, and they're just good guys trying to do their job. They deserve to go home to their families, too. They shouldn't be in danger out here. And, and just because they shoot 12-year-old kids with BB guns, hey, they didn't know if it was a gun. And just because they shoot uh men with their backs turned to them 41 times, because they got their wallet in their hand, and just because they go on Walmarts and act like stormtroopers, and shoot guys that are standing talking on their cell phone with their head cocked to the side, holding a phone to their shoulder, and they just so happen to have an airsoft pellet gun in their hand that was on the shelf in the store that they're shopping at. Man, these people deserve to go home. Just because a car backfires when it drives past a cop, they need like 25 cops to, to hop in their cars and calling our cars, go on a high-speed chase across the city, and fill that car with 200 bullets and kill those people were unarmed and hadn't broken any laws. Because they're just heroes trying to do their jobs. They're just trying to do their jobs. They're just just trying to get by like the rest of us. Then you see reports like this coming out and you see that our system is set up where you find 30 bodies on site and no arrests. You go back in a couple of years, you find 60 more bodies on site. Nah, no, no, no arrests. No. Can't see where we need to, you know, trouble anybody with any kind of legal criminal implications for all these dead people. And you keep going back to the site and you keep digging up bodies and you just keep, so now they got a state Senator on the case. They said, uh, Senator Nelson's been involved in this from the beginning, begging for more people to come and investigate this. He calls it state-sanctioned barbarism. They know about the flogging. They know about the sexual assaults. They see that clearly this must also include murder. Families of the victims, they call themselves the White House boys which is named for the building where named for the building where they were taken to be disciplined produced a horrifying picture of life at the 159 acre institution particularly between 1914 and 1952 but they didn't close it till 2011 when they found bodies there in 2009 and went on a couple more years so i mean they could try to put it back in the early 1900s but I, I, that ain't flying with me I think it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of people who should be implicated in this. I think it's pretty obvious there's murder going on at this place and it was so systematic and so easy to do it. And like I said, this is just something I'm bringing up to contrast the school to prison pipeline, because this reformatory situation was up until recently what we did with kids. So yeah, okay, we closed the reformatory, but we just sent them straight to juvenile. We just sent them straight to jail. Hell, uh, New York takes kids, you know, what, 15? 16? Charge them as adults. There's states like that in the country that just, ninth graders, 10th graders, just go to prison, man. We don't have time for you. I think we got brother Max Parthis. On the line, and we're going to give, uh, Brother Max an opportunity to share with you his perspective on these dealings. Hello, Max Parthus. Oh, peace, my brother.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm listening in a uh, very inspiring show, as always, uh, program. because uh, it's not a show, you ain't here to entertain nobody, but, uh, <laughs>
1: inspiring
0: program as always, man. And, it, you know, it was making me think of some of the information that also applies like when you talk about the school to prison pipeline, the value that they put on the children Thank you. to incarcerate them for one year is something yes. that we just
1: Man, it's really sad, and that's something. And also the Cook County numbers we found out last year. Well, I think it was Cook County where they said it was each one was worth a hundred, or was it two hundred twelve thousand?
0: Uh, I have the list by state, but not by county. But I think yeah, it was okay. two hundred twelve thousand in, in Cook County, and that was the first time I think we were exposed to the enormous costs yeah. that these prisons were reaping. Uh, you know, we had always thought, and I spoke of it before, that the average like thirty to fifty thousand dollars and that was a lot from Chris Hayes' reporting and gathering, you know, saying it was worth thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year. But that's nothing compared to the reality of it. You know, as we mentioned, three hundred and fifty two thousand across the state of New York to incarcerate one child. And the fast food or the McDonalds of slavery uh in across America is Louisiana, the prison capital of the world only takes forty six thousand a year in for every young adult. They're like the McDonald's of slavery.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They've got it down. They got it down. They got the cost down so we can do more. High volume. Yeah.
0: And even that is still high. I mean, 46,000 for one year. You know, come on, man. You really could send that child to college for that.
1: To a good of course. Dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's, um, I think, and I'm no political expert. I, I'm, you know, I never professed that. I don't know all that there is to know, but. I think they call that socialism, Max, and well, you know, we don't do that here.
0: Well, I don't, I don't to get into those types of (laughs) isms too much. You know, I get confused real easy.
1: (laughs) You know, where the people come together and, or is it, is it communism or socialism? What, what is that? It's some kind of ism where you actually put, uh, the, the public monies towards the, the public good
0: as opposed to all
1: this individualism. Yeah. Yeah, So I want you to, I want you to. Go ahead. ahead. I want you to listen to this to this uh, statistics and then tell me what you think. During 2011. More than three million public school students were suspended and over one hundred thousand were expelled. These students were overwhelmingly black, of course, and according to the Department of Education, black students are suspended and expelled at three times the rate of white students, Save for American Indians, no other racial group experiences such outsized racial disp- disproportionality and exclusionary discipline. Indeed, the federal government has said that the racial disparity in punishment levels can't be explained by differences in kids' behavior alone. Importantly, just one of those suspensions can double the likelihood that a student will drop out of school. Just one! And increase the likelihood that a student ends up in a prison. A disproportionate number of students of color are even arrested at school is a form of punishment. What well, do you think about that, Max? You think that's the that's the part, the pipeline to getting that two hundred, three hundred thousand a year?
0: Yes, uh that's exactly what it is. That's the uh you know, you gotta look at it almost like human farms. You know, <laughs> and From cradle to grave, you're the crop, so to speak, and you get ripe at a certain point. And, you know, they want you to be in a position where they can put you into these prisons. You know, they're already complaining about overpopulation, which is a uh, a fallacy in itself. And you got people like Bill Gates talking about how we need to reduce the population and things like that. So this is one of the ways that not only do they reduce unwanted populations, uh, like uh, Justice Ginsburg has stated, you know, on un- particular populations, but they also get rich on it. <laughs> and they get rich on it via the taxpayer uh, and also using commercial uh, exploitation. So, this is really i don't think this is so so much of a new thing, but it's new to this generation this since nineteen eighty we've been seeing these things occurring and occur, and occur more and more and more, yeah. particularly with people like Chris Christie, the Governor of New Jersey, who right. started as a lobbyist for c e c the private prison over there and since he's become prisoner of uh, the um uh, Governor of new Jersey, you've seen this expansion using even eminent domain laws in order to create these halfway houses across New Jersey's for uh, kids and New Jersey uh, I believe let me see if I can find New Jersey on the list here uh, New Jersey right there New Jersey brings in a hundred and ninety six thousand dollars a year for every one of those kids in those halfway houses and you see them mm-hmm. all across New Jersey and it has expanded to other states so when you start thinking of this as slavery as we do, you start seeing these connections come together for clear conclusions. Like this is exactly why they're doing it. There You don't really need to think about so much the details. Go with Occam's razor. What's the easiest answer? What is the most obvious conclusion?
1: Right. Well, it's pretty obvious. Pretty damn obvious. You mentioned Chris Christie, uh, again, like we talked about last year in the governor race in Florida, either Charlie Chris, the former governor himself, uh already of the state and or rick scott neither one of them had a word to say about what's going on in florida's prisons and they are arguably some of the worst in the country arizona they got into a spat in their uh um attorney general race out there if you remember where um guy's name was uh, mark bronovich i think uh he um was a former lobbyist like Christie. And they called him out on it, and he's lied and danced and tried to get out of it. And Well, no, it's not what it seems. No, it is what it seems. You took money from the private prison lobby to go to Congress and go push for law for sentencing extensions and push for private prisons expansions, and now you want to be the attorney general, the top cop in the state. What? Did, why do they get so incredulous when people figure out their shit?
0: You know, it's just, again, something's just so obvious, if you just... Stop, just clear away the veil and accept things for what you seek. You know what I mean? What, right. It is obviously wrong for anyone who is involved with a prison for profit, punishment for sale or organization to be in a position to write laws or enforce right. laws or create laws or have anything to do with the policing. And the justice system in our country. There is a huge conflict of interest there that is completely obvious if you just look.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, sir, I definitely appreciate your thoughts on the matter. I mean, it's it's always good to, to hear from you or Scotty. Clearly, we're, you know, in the trenches all the time and talk to each other all the time. So, you know, I I you're always, you know, if I see you on the line or whatever. Just be ready to comment, cause I uh, <laughs> I might just click that button and Max get on in so, here. So I definitely appreciate this you giving this. The way stack. I
0: listen to the show, and I try to listen as often as possible. You know, I'm not an early type person, but I get up and make sure that I'm ready just to hear this, cause you you are a voice that needs to be heard. And for me, this is like Bible study. You know, we're we're really studying in depth and learning as we go along, and by default, others are learning around us.
1: I appreciate that, bro. I really do. I appreciate that. Right, peace, man. Peace to you. So there you have my brother Maximus Parthas on the line. And, uh, looks like we do have one other call to take. I, I guess we go ahead and take the call because we're, um, we're going to be wrapping up the program here soon. So I'll take the call. We'll do, um, uh, just a quick minute to, to acknowledge, uh, Sister Nakia Le- uh, Nakima Levy Pounds and then, uh, Dakota Bright to give you that information and then we'll be ready to close out. Uh, caller, uh, 973 area code.
0: Yes, I'm New Jer. I'm from New Jersey and I'm listening to these statistics. Where can I find this information at? I I'm I'm blown. I'm my mind is blown here. Wow.
1: I will I will be putting all of these links up on the uh the, you are you on Facebook?
0: No, let see. I'm not on Facebook.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I'll tell can, you what. Give Jim... me You can
0: you You have an email. I can give you my email yes. address and you can send that information to me, johannes.
1: Yes. Uh, uh. Our email is newabolitionist at gmail.com. Okay. Great. Thank
0: you and so you can, much. I'm
1: listening. Yes. I appreciate it. Thank you for Thank you for listening and calling in. Okay. So there we have a, a caller that's uh that's listening and these numbers are shocking and they are are shocking. It's ridiculous. The 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 statistics. is mind blowing. Some of these shows the last few days have been difficult for me to stay, you know, in compartments to story to story to story. Some of them, they're all horrible, but some of them just pull on my heart so much. And I mean, I, I may sound like I'm, you know, cussing and fussing and at times, you know, spitting fire on this thing or something. And just really, I, I must be some angry person. But you would really be surprised maybe to find out that there's times when I'm reading this stuff just to get the research ready or when I'm reporting it to you. And I'm honest to goodness, I'm sitting here with tears welled up in my eyes. I'm sitting here and I'm my voice is trying to not to crack because it's like, this is the reality. This is not some fantasy. I'm not reading a, a sci-fi book to you. I'm not trying to sell a script to Paramount. I'm not trying to give some, you know, hyperbole of what's happening. This is the reality of the truth, people. This is what it has come to. This is what it has always been. That's probably what makes me the most sad is that, this isn't really like new and, and groundbreaking. This is what it has always been. And if we don't fight, this is what they want it to always be. So just think about that. This is what they want it to always be. This is how they they get down like this. It could stay this way for their money. So our unexplainable black death uh, profile is a young brother named Dakota Bright. Says on uh, November November 8, 2012, around 4 p.m. after school hours, a teenager by the name of Dakota Bright, a 15-year-old Paul Robeson High School student, was heading to his grandmother's house to check in with her. As he made his way to his grandmother's house, which was his daily routine after school, he was fatally interrupted by the Chicago PD, who claimed that Dakota was in possession of a firearm and that he allegedly pointed it towards an officer, although no motive for any of this was ever suggested. As a result of these allegations, the Chicago PD justified chasing this child down and shooting him execution style in the back of his head. Adding insult to injury, Dakota laid on the ground a block from his grandmother's house for over five hours while the police claimed they were trying to find the gun. unexplainable black death they never came out with any more stories than any more explanation of this it's so a kid after school headed to grandma's house stopped by his friend's house after school headed home to his grandma's for whatever reason that they never had to substantiate cops saw him and start chasing him he started running they chased him down put a gun to the back of his head blew his brains out and then left his body laying there for hours They never gave out the name of the officer. They never found the gun that they said he pointed at him. His mother's still out here, Pansy Bright. She's still out here. I see her at these protests. I see her her face is still in the place. She's still trying to get justice for her baby. So see, it's not just Michael Brown. It's not just Mike Brown happening in America, went crazy. I told you about Amadou Diallo. People was going crazy in 99. And what has been the response from the state? The state has upped the incarceration. The state has upped the lynchings. The state has upped the militarization of the police forces. The state has lowered the standard of criminality. You can't even charge these cops now. They've, they've, they've put in more rules and regulations to make it where they justifies what they do. Even Holder, as he's leaving with these new federal guidelines, the federal guidelines are just giving a refined instruction manual to the local jurisdictions. So when you hear about these shootings and then you hear people say, well, they're going to, the first thing they say, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, whoever, the first thing they say while the blood is still on the street from the child they blew away is, well, Al Al, uh, Sharpton's here or whoever's here, and they said that the family's going to call for federal investigation before they even convene a grand jury, if they even decide to do that. The first thing they say is they're going to send it up for a federal investigation because they expect that nothing's going to come of it. But I'm telling you right now, Eric Holder just set down a new list of instructions to guide these people so a federal investigation is going to prove to be completely redundant. If you just detail in your original report, these things, when it gets sent up to our office, we won't even have to waste time. We could just put a rubber stamp on it because if you stick to what we're telling you to do, you won't get anybody convicted. He didn't put out guidelines to try to tell these people how to police. And that's what you heard coming out of these talking heads mouth. Oh, a Holder needs to stay, uh, D- David Clark. Sheriff of Milwaukee came out, and made, made himself famous again for talking about how Eric Holder needs to shut his mouth. I trust local cops and the government needs to stay out of what the local cops are doing. The government just gave you a damn instruction manual for how you can keep on police in Milwaukee County, which is the A number one leader per capita for black male incarceration. And they're pretty high up there for black males, unarmed, innocents being shot and killed. So that's Dakota Bright's story. Another sad, unexplainable black death story. And we'll just move on from that. I just want to give a shout out as our abolitionist of the day is our powerful, powerful sister. Keema Levy-Pounds. I just want to give her a shout out because she was named as a 2014 Minnesota, Minnesota Lawyers of the Year list. She's a powerful sister, always on the front lines in her area, always teaching. She's a professor always teaching and raising up this next generation of abolitionist attorneys she's always out here somehow in these civil rights uh, uh marches and protests she's getting arrested she's out here putting it in she's putting her life on the line putting her career on the line putting her name on the line she's got a a, a program that she hosts and brings in interesting guests as well. I've been able to catch a few of her podcasts. I mean, she's just all over the place up there. And I know Minnesota is one of those places that's seen as being somehow progressive. But she's one of the voices that decries how racist and, and backwards it is, just like the rest of the, the country. So just wanted to give her a shout-out today, and uh, links to her information will be on our page. Um And other than that, I mean, that's the program for today, the Abolitionist Daily you got an opportunity to uh to hear some stunning numbers and um to all the listeners i should uh give you our um email information if you don't have uh social media accounts up uh facebook accounts and whatnot up so um just know that you can reach us on email at new abolitionists radio that's n e w a b o l i t i o n i s t s so it's abolitionists radio at gmail.com it's that simple if you got an email reach out to me um i'm on that account all the time so other than that thank you for your uh, listening today this has been the abolitionist daily this is johan and Elia on the black talk radio network and we are out <laughs>